Okay, hi everybody. So wait, so we're in the conversation, everybody, because of course we got our first request for somebody to come on the podcast and so excited. So Lenny and I are just talking and I'm reading her this letter and we are going to have her on. So I'm going to not say, I hope she'll come on after this. Maybe she's not gonna, but no, she's going to want to. But I was like reading the email to Lenya and Lenya like interrupts and says, is she black? <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I, I was like, yes, of course she's black because she's talking about, well, no, not of course. Let me take that back. Yes, so not, not I of course. Here, so the person who, who is who's interested in speaking is a preeminent authority on race, diversity, inclusion, anti-racism, and equity within the collegiate and professional sports paradigm. So I was like, Lenya, it's totally because she she's interested in us because of Lenya's work with powerlifting and all of our talk about Formula One. I mean, that has to be it because certainly nothing I do would involve sports. But Lenya then says, is she black? And I was like, well, of course she's black. But then I was like, well, that kind of hurt my feelings. There was this thing like where I was like, that's your white fragility. I know it is. See, but I just, but it's true. But I did. I was like, oh my God. So, and I get it. I totally get it. It is such a bad look for a white person to come across and say that they are, you know, experts in inclusion and diversity. With you, I'm going to be my most authentic self. And I'm going to say, is she black? Instead of like at work being like, oh, this is a little strange, you know, but because at work, I, really, we're like, I gotta say, I think, you know, the thing is, I don't think that even at work with me, every time, like I'm putting together a panel or anything, I, I'm pretty open now. Like we're like, if we just have a bunch of judges, I was like, you know what? We don't have any, we don't, I mean, and we always have diversity, but now I'm very, just, I mean, we're just so diverse in LA. It's, you know, you, you throw a stone and you're diverse, but the idea is, are you diverse enough? What are you really representing? Yeah. So try to make sure that you have somebody from the LGBTQIA yes. community. It looks like where you want to have somebody who's actually not just a person of color. You want to make sure that you have a black person on the panel. And the idea is I'm just open about it. You know, I mean, I'm just like, we need a black person. Like, I, it's like, we have to stop hiding. The world is a better place for representationalism. And we mm -hmm. are just better for that. So I don't care if the black person coming is not going to be as experienced as the old white man coming mm -hmm. because it's not about experience it's about there is the quality of lived experience diversity and breaking exactly. barriers that's a factor so yeah i might want the most experienced person in the room so i'm not going to revoke the invitation from the old white man with the most experience but i am going to make room right this is like it let's yeah. we're not talking this would be a panel not on race let's just yeah. say it's yes. a panel just on I don't know, something random, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Right. Like I'm going to want the person's wisdom, right. From 50 years, but I'm also going to want the barrier breaker. Right. And, and yeah. the representationalism and that person's going to be qualified too. I'm not saying it's just tokenism, but this is where we need to break open and say, it's not about tokenism. It's about 
representation, yes. breaking the barrier, being a first, you know, those are all really important skills. But also diversity of opinion. Absolutely. You're going to get a completely different perspective. Absolutely. A completely different perspective, so, which is so necessary. And I don't want to hide in the, I don't want to hide in the, because I remember 10 years ago when we would always look at panels that we were getting and then there would be whispers, you know, we need to make this more diverse. Like it was like, they have cancer, you know, be like, <laughs> all right, no. Yeah, we like, this is a panel of three white guys or this is a panel of three white people. Like we need to make sure that this is that this is actually representative of our student body or representative of Los Angeles, whatever it is like we need it. And if we need to search deeper, we need to search deeper. And then we can have the frustrations of the poor black woman saying, do you know how many times I have to speak? Because I'm like one of five people and I'm always getting called everywhere. Well, yeah, that does suck, but you need to step up and do this where other people have to step back. You need to step forward. I, I'm, I'm all for it, but I will say when he was like, is she black? I was like, oh my God, really? We start, I'm just like so excited and race, bam, right there. So yeah, right there, right the, in the woman, picture. the woman is black. So, and she, awesome. so she, I, we're very excited. We're going to, I'm going to email her back today and it's yes. very exciting. So we got our first, I mean, this is amazing. We I'm got so our excited. first ask. So, no, I have to piggyback on this, piggyback on this conversation about something that happened at work. This is hilarious. So we're starting a diversion and inclusive, you know, inclusivity uh, panel. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like I'm, I, I've had one cup of coffee and the brain is not working. But well, anyway, I know. We're okay, wait a minute. Effort. I'm going to press hold and I'm going to stop record, but I got to go get more coffee. Because, okay. of course, everybody also, I'm talking to you with COVID, but I, I need oh, yeah, coffee. We got to talk about that too. All right. All right. Okay. So let me finish telling you about this thing. And hopefully nobody knows where I work. Because, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. so. They, you know, the, I'm, I'm impressed that they came out with this committee and it's great because one thing about my company is that it's mostly women. There's not a lot of women at the top, 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 but it's mostly women in management positions in the, at the store level. And it's very diverse here in Los Angeles. But when the actual pictures of the people who were um, in this committee, there were 10 people, six white people, one with a Karen haircut, and then the other ones were people of color the other four. Wow. And I looked at that and went, what the fuck? Now, if I wasn't so happy where I am and so yeah. happy with, with the way my, the, stru the structure of the Los Angeles community was, I think I would have paused on that one when I saw those pictures. One woman had a Karen haircut. I, I, that alone freaked me out. Okay, I'm I like, got to ask, what is a Karen haircut? Because now oh, it's very easily googleable all right I, everybody i'm googling it right now she's blonde as well so she's well the I, full. I mean i figured it was blonde oh I've i been. yeah 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 and that's where all right everybody so it's kind of like a bob but very short yeah very short every karen video from last summer from the 2020 summer every person that was a karen that was harassing some black person in a restaurant or some black manager they all have that haircut Right. 
And so when I saw that, I really kind of got nervous. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I have to say, I feel bad because I kind of like that haircut. For an older woman, it can be very sassy because it lifts your face up. Like for white people, you know. Well, maybe white people need to do better so that they don't have, they don't get associated with these kinds of haircuts because white people are not doing better. There's it's just getting worse. What's happening on TikTok, what's happening on Instagram. I am so, I could, we could have, I could have a rant about well, what is right going now. on. What is but going no, on? I could rant for like hours, Alex, on how white people are just not doing better. The amount of privilege that, that is shown on these apps or the like, oh, or, or the audacity to come on to somebody's comments Right. There's this woman I follow specifically. She is a advocate for disabled African-Americans. Right. She has a very big platform. And I have learned so many things about my ableist mentality from her. And I'm trying really, really hard and learning a lot about how to just how to be better. Right. You know, like, yeah, because there's so many things, especially being an athlete that I say and do on a regular basis that are ableist. And I need to change my language. I need to yeah. change the way I think about those things. And it's because of her, like 100% because of her and following her on TikTok that I have become more aware of this. Well, there are these white women, always white women that come onto her comments and always do the whataboutism. Right. Well, what about, you know, white people who are disabled and blah, 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 blah. You know, and like every day she is having to exert more labor to educate white people about the intersectionality of being black and disabled. Because for some reason, this is such a concept that cannot be fixed, that cannot be fathomed by the, you know, her thought. And my thing is, if you don't like what she has to say, just unfollow her. Don't come on to your, into her comments. And then you're fighting for your life because people are going for you. And then you double down. That is audacity. And this happens so regularly. I love that. I mean, it's true. This whataboutism, this having to like, I if totally I say, agree. I'm, I have this thing on TikTok at the moment where every day I do a video and the audio says, hello, welcome to Black Women Bare Minimum, where I do the least and be the most. Here's my effort for today, right? Where I'm just existing. Right. Because this just existing as me being a black woman is apparently a revolutionary and controversial thing, which is so upsetting because there are white women on this app that basically just sit in front of their video camera for two seconds and then they have a million followers. Yeah. And so, you know, I where there's a bunch of us black women trying to push this whole we don't have to be exceptional. I don't want to be the strong black woman. I want to be the damsel in distress. I am officially starting my damsel in distress era. Right. I want to be able to just be soft and be myself and it'd be okay. It's so, uh, yeah. Anyway, and you know, and I still, I had to delete a comment the other day from a white woman who was like, I don't understand why um, you have to have this sound. So I just deleted the comment because I didn't want to, I, and, and luckily, nobody saw it because I don't have that many followers because she would have been fighting for her life in the comments. Where does, so where do we draw? I totally agree. I mean, I find it very annoying. I find it very annoying that. That the what about is, I mean, I love that you're calling it that because it's really what it is, 
is just missing intersectionality. And the fact that intersectionality has been labeled as critical race theory, so therefore we shouldn't talk about it, is ridiculous. Because the fact is, is that you can actually have intersectionality. The person doesn't have to be Black, everybody. If you are a white woman and disabled, you actually face some intersectionality as well. Because as a disabled white woman, you're treated differently than a disabled man or just a abled white woman. So like intersectionality affects everyone, but let's then magnify it, right? If you are a woman and you are a black woman, and this has been forever, like this is, this has been an issue since I was in law school a hundred years ago. The concept of, you know, people would say, well, a black woman would say, I've been discriminated on the job. And they'll say, well, that doesn't make any sense because we've promoted women and we've promoted black men. And they're like, yeah, but you haven't promoted a black woman. And it's different. It's its own category because it is two plus two equals five. That's what it is. And so it's, it's, and that has been an issue forever. So the idea is that the whatabouts are trying to sort of say two plus two just equals four. It's no big deal. And I'm like, no, but it isn't because it is true. Check your own privilege. You know, what assumptions you might make in your head if you see, I mean, I have to say, check my own privilege, right? When I see a, a person of color who I'm trying to think of where this would really be triggered, where my first nanosecond of thought would be from a point of privilege. And I would say if I see any person of color in a wheelchair with a developmental disability of some kind, you know, so it's three things. So it's really three things, right? It's color, physical disability, mental disability. I will probably think poverty first, which is, Mm. which is totally not necessarily true. It is just seriously like your first thought is, wow, that person must be from a poor neighborhood because I'm thinking not adequate care of some kind. That's so racist and so because like why I would not have the same feeling if I saw a white person. I don't know. You know what I mean? But the idea is check your privilege at the door. Check that assumption. Take the second. (laughs) Intersectionality is a real is a real thing. Like my sister it's funny, just had, you know, she was just in a conversation about this when like seeing the whole child. If you're a guidance counselor, you have to see the whole child, not just the fourth grader. It has to be, you know, you have to actually think, are you seeing a black fourth grader? Are you seeing a white fourth grader? And are you seeing a white fourth grader from a poor home? I mean, I want people to realize that white people understand that when we're actually talking about this, this will actually, if people could grasp this idea, It will raise everybody up because you'll also think about class. Yeah. Like every white person is not equal either because we do have people suffering like poor white working class from Appalachia. Do you know what I mean? I'm sorry. Like it's really different. What is the bias against the poor person from West Virginia versus like urban white poor? There are lots of biases that go in there that we could work on removing. So it's it's just as usual. Black people bear the brunt of the hatred when we're starting to think more broadly about social justice issues. 
Well, class also is an intersectionality. There's another person I follow who she, this is actually a very interesting, this was very interesting watching this all play out. So she did this post a couple, at the beginning of Black History Month asking white people, do you have conversations with your parents about whether they witnessed lynchings, whether they participated, what did they feel about the Jim Crow laws? Because Black families have to have these conversations all the time. You know, my grandfather or uh, was was alive, you know, because everybody, like, white people like to think, or not you, all white people, but obviously the, the ones who are opposed to critical race theory, like to think that racism was so far uh, along ago, like Jim Crow was so long ago, these people are still alive. So she, she posed this question. She put out this video. It was all over the internet, like not just um, TikTok and Instagram. It was everywhere. And then she, the, the comments started coming in. And this white man, so already red flag, posted a stitched video where he said, of course we talk about it. That's the best thing that my grandfather and I do is we sit there and we talk about the racist things done, um, the racist things done to him or something, not done to him, but sort of like in this way that, that it just happened and he was there. And then he goes, and then he goes, and look at you. You look like you live in a million dollar home and you're red bone, meaning you're light skin and your nice hair and all of this. You know, you've never suffered a day in your life. Now this, and, and then, you know, and then he goes on. Now this video, so many things to unpack in his comment. A, racism didn't happen to his grandfather. His grandfather would have participated in the racism, right? Because his grandfather was white. Second of all, he then tried to shame her for being, for being pretty, for being light-skinned, for having nice hair and living well. Because Black people aren't supposed to have any of those things. So all of this happens in this video. And, you know, the Black community is watching this because it went viral. And, you know, and they're stitching their bits to it. And all I kept thinking of is this is 2021 and this is still happening. All she did was ask the question, which is a legitimate question, because I'll tell you what, my dad had this conversation with me about what he witnessed because he grew up in Jim Crow South. Wow. My dad is a lad. My dad is yep. 80. You know what I mean? It's not like it was that far away. And we have these conversations. So it is a legitimate question to ask white people, do you have these conversations with your family? Right. And now the latest stitch that's been going around is this woman, this white woman who said, oh my God, I am today... Today old when I thought of this this really horrible thing that was seeped in my privilege that I couldn't figure out. And I was like, uh, and when the video starts, I'm like, oh my God. She goes, the reason why people, white people don't want to have critical race theory taught in schools is because when the pictures come out of people yelling at the kids, being racist, having the the pictures of the lynchings, they're going to recognize their family members. They're going to see their grandma. They're going to see their grandfather. They're going to see their uncles. And that is going to then bring more trauma onto them because the trauma of just knowing that this is in their DNA isn't is bad enough. Right. That's why we have all these new laws going in about white feelings. It's that that trauma isn't enough. When they start to see that they are actually their family participated, that is when it is going to be all too real. And, and obviously, you know, Black people can process this now because we've been processing it for hundreds of years. 
Well, but I, white people have only just now coming into the fact that they have to process all of this. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that that's really true. I mean, so what I find interesting, and this is such a careening conversation, because now I'm going to take us into wooism, right? So <laughs> when, because I, I really do, I, so I had a friend who um, is really into like past life regression, and I've always been tempted to go through that experience. I'm just curious. I'm always curious, you know, you know, with me, I want to do all the shaman trips. Yeah. I want to do all of it. And then I always look at the price and I'm like, that's a ticket away. Like I'm not doing it. But anyway, because I really did. I looked it up. I was about to make an appointment in $500. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's that's a trip. The thing that makes me uncomfortable as a white woman doing this, not because I'm appropriating somebody else's rituals, because I actually don't have Rituals are meant, that's how the world, that's how we become global. That's how we learn. And me participating in this is not appropriating. And if somebody is actually, so you can hate me, people, if that's true, but I was going to do it. But the thing is, is what past life do I want to see? Like if, if I stay in my same race, like there is no way a past version of my life isn't like racist in mm -hmm. some way. So it really makes me uncomfortable. So what I'm going to find out, unless I find out like I'm a stone farmer, which is probably true. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> unless I find out that I'm just a poor peasant somewhere that's been shit on, white, whatever, like I'm the lowest on the totem pole, which is probably my past. You know, what's going to be, what's going to be that? What, what is that really going to be? It's that same sense when people talk about ancestral tarot work and talking to your yep. ancestors. For me, I'm like talking to my ancestors. Let's really put this in, you know, I love my I love my grandmother, my grandmother, like my grandparents, and I don't know my grandfather. I didn't both well one grandfather was a horrible human being. One grandfather was supposedly a saint, but I have no idea where those limits were. I've never tested I've never I don't know about those limits, right? Of I mean, I I do know he was a Southern Italian man, so dark that he was called a Negro a lot. So I'm sure he experienced colorism or otherism in the sense of he was a very dark Italian man, but still rose up, was a lawyer, managed to buy a house in Brooklyn, pass on ancestral wealth, right? Or inherited wealth. So, you know, privilege. So, but that idea, it's like my grandmother, his wife was, I mean, a really pulled out of school in the fifth grade to do laundry, like all the all the typical very New York immigrant experiences, but racist AF, racist AF. So because she had to shit on somebody else, like it's ignorance and she needed to shit on the on the class of people lower than she was. That's that's a that's a horrible human trait. And she exhibited that. So I'm not like people are like, oh, get in touch with your ancestors. I'm like, they're nasty racist people i'm not i don't want to commune with them like that isn't I, do you know what i mean and chances are almost like so i don't even understand that component it's the same way you know and i you know i love louis ck and i know he's fallen from grace but it was one of the funniest and truest bits where he talks about white people's obsession with time travel because he's like, white mm. people always want to travel in time because, you know, they want to travel back in time and do all this. He was like, what brown or black person 
wants to say, oh, I'm going to go travel to the 1700s and dress up. What is what does that look like? And then his his the punchline was always like, but white people, you probably don't want to travel too far into the future. And I was like, yes, true. I think that's totally what we're seeing now. Right. Is that we don't want. We don't want to share the trauma that black people carry in this country. We don't actually want to do our fair share of sharing in that trauma, of sharing in it. And this is where I wonder if we could take some lessons from Germans. Like, how have, how have modern Germans handled yeah. their ancestry that, you know, for, for many Germans, their grandparents were, were either Nazis or complicit in some way, right? And how do you move forward in the world where that's true? And they've had to figure that out perfectly or imperfectly. And I don't know, but it makes me feel like we should look for a lesson there. Like how are they handling the shared shame moving forward? Because maybe that can teach us how to move forward. Yeah, I saw an interesting guy who was a, I think he's a New York Times uh, reporter. He now has a TikTok. It's funny. A lot of the New York Times reporters have TikToks now. And I started to follow all of them because they are so more, much more candid on TikTok than they are in their articles. And this New York Times reporter was talking about how Hitler and the Nazis got a lot of their policies for the Jews from the Jim Crow laws of the South. But that the one thing that they felt was too far was the one drop rule. You know, the one drop of one drop of yeah, black yeah, blood yeah. in the black. That, that they felt that that was a stone too far. Now, when you think about that and what they did to the Jews, oh my God. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. to. I, I would love to have, you know what? That would be something we should put out there. We should put out that, that we want someone in Germany with German descendants to come in and talk about what the healing process for their family has been. I have friends in Germany. I can I, let me. Reach out. Could, yeah, I would love to talk to someone like that because that is something that's going to need to be done. You know, it's not how we heal like we need yes. to share in our in, in the shame like we need to share. Yes. We do need to share it. That's the first step to healing. Right. I mean, there's no. This is just going to be uncomfortable for everybody because even, you know, because the truth is, right, and we've talked about this before, it's like we're in the reckoning. Of course, there's going to be a correction. And then so the idea is that no one is saying, everybody, that Black people are always right. You know what I mean? Like that isn't what we're saying. But we have to understand that the experience we we are we are yet to really understand the like we're the lived experience of black people or actually i have to say or of mexican people or any person of color any any person of color yeah absolutely but i like the reason i like separate that out is partially or the native american experience right so because the idea is that those are different like we have the other thing is sort of starting to understand the gradations, right? You know, the Black American experience, which is like the slave American experience, right, is going to be wholly different than any immigrants 
experience. So even the Nigerian American coming over in the last 20 years is still a different experience. Although when we look at the black person, we're foisting that that shared experience on the person. Then we have the Mexican experience where half of California was Mexico. So you do have people who have been living on this land forever and be then called foreigners. So then you've got like the Chicano, that Chicano experience. Then you have the person of color, brown person coming in. Then you have the Native American experience of, well, we were here. We, we are actually the original people here. So it's very, we have to learn as Americans how to be nuanced. And that is something I think Americans are not good at. And it's, that's, that's a part of it, of understanding that white people are very, and I'm in a collectively, right? Yeah. Like, but white people are nervous that it is, we tend to see life as a pot, like a fixed pie. So if you take a slice, we're losing a slice. And, and that's, that's us. That isn't even capitalism. I have to be honest. Like, even I think the truest nature of capitalism is that capitalism is fair in this. It isn't the way it works, but the idea, the concept of it, if I remember from college is that it allows everyone to rise, right? Because the idea is that you can have a professional class, you can have a merchant class, you can like the idea is that everyone can rise in some way, shape or form. It doesn't work out that way, but it's the whole idea is that it's not a fixed pie. So I, yeah, so selfish to just keep your, it's what about ism is selfish and insecurity because you feel like you're going to lose something and or it feels like you're not being seen. And I think we need to, though, in the conversation. Learn how to better question what about ism. So like when yeah. some, what about this? And you could say, what triggered you to ask that question? Yes, that is exactly the, the, the response that everybody is saying to do. Say, well, why, why are you asking that question? Where, where does this come from? And then get them to explain themselves. And eventually and maybe, they figure it out. Right. I mean, because otherwise, you know, it is the human inclination to dig your feet in. I have this conversation with students all the time where I actually say to them, I see you digging your feet in, but I need you to figure, this is just on any learning anything, right? I was like, but you need to see how what I'm saying is right. Do you know what I mean? And how you're down here instead of resisting, you need to actually come with an open mind, see it like a puzzle and figure out how to get there. And that's the halfway. Right. And the idea is that's, that is the only way for somebody to have the epiphany. Oh, you're not saying that this situation isn't that a disabled white person doesn't have challenges. We're just saying that a disabled black person is going to have double the -hmm. challenges. And because two plus two equals five, maybe actually it's even going to be more than double. This one woman has had so many interesting conversations on TikTok about, and she harps back, always backs this one thing that how COVID is a mass disabling event and how it is going to change the perspective and the view of, of our lives moving forward. And everybody's, oh, but you know, I got COVID and, and, and I didn't have any symptoms and it's fine. 
but you had COVID. It is now on your record. It is now in your insurance nose. And when you get sick next time and you need a, for something else, you might not get covered because you had COVID. You know what I mean? All of these little things she talks about all and, you know, and it blows my mind every time I listen to another one of her videos because it's like she just drops these truth bombs. Well, that takes us to COVID because I'm not so sure having COVID will be a blot on a record. Well, I'm just saying I'm thinking it's I don't think it's going to be a blot on the records per se, but there are insurance companies are going to find a way to penalize you for getting COVID. Or penalize you for not being vaccinated. Either way, like insurance is. Either way. Either way. Well, no, I mean, what's so wrong? The biggest, you know, when we really, there's so many things wrong with the country and it's, it's sort of just wrong with the structure. But insurance companies, the fact that their stance is oppositional. Mm hmm because we pay for coverage and even like with the rains, right? Eric and I had to replace our roof and, and there was water damage. We have a tiny bit of mold remediation to do. And when we emailed our insurance agent to say, well, could we get covered? They're like, well, first you didn't have us out to inspect. So the roof is never going to be covered. And we're like, that's fine. Then we're like the damage. It's a, it's a litigation posture that they have. And I recognize it because I have a law degree and it's I teach remedies. So I actually brought the email from the insurance agent into my remedies class. And I said, read this letter that would be written to a consumer. They don't know that I have a law degree, you know, and, and what are you thinking? I mean, how many people are going to pursue payment because it's, I need to prove this. I need to prove this. It's not presumed coverage, even though it's my effing money. Like it's, and Eric and I are basically now, is it worth the trouble of trying to get some of this covered or do we just pay out of pocket because they'll raise our insurance if we raise the claim? It's like we're being punished for taking advantage. And I was like, Eric, we need to think about this. Insurance is catastrophic, right? You know what I mean? If there's a fire, yes, they're going to cover us. But this is like not worth my time. And it sucks because they just make more money. Like, it's so aggravating. And, they, but, but the and ap- they're, get, they're counting on it, though, Alex. They're counting oh. on you saying that this isn't worth my time and I'm just going to pay. They're counting on that. Absolutely. But really, when I look at my time, I was like, I already worked many hours. I do not want to spend what free time I have fucking dealing with an insurance claim. I'd rather just spend the money and not do dinners or, you know, not do dinners for six months, whatever it's going to be, the trade-off. I, it, it doesn't, it's so aggravating. And I know everybody's built differently. Like other people are like, no, like freaking do it. And I was like, I have. Or the, or the privilege that we don't, we, we can do that. There's some people who just right. physically, financially cannot do that. Right. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's so, it's so annoying. But I'm kind of thinking that there's going to be real, there's just going to be a lot of backlog. I mean, so everybody, I have COVID. I was going to say. I, like, I, went, I went to get my PCR test to go back on campus, which we're all required to do. And I did it. And it's funny. I joked with the woman. Like, I was like, I, you know, I don't want to go back to after spring break. I need a positive test. And, you know, I was joking. But then I opened my test two days ago. And there it is in red ink, like red thing, positive. And I'm like, what? 
So I've been having really bad. I had a bad cold in January. It's been lingering forever. Did a PCR test early January. Negative allergy season. It's really, really bad. We had mold in the house. So I just feel like I haven't felt like myself since January 1st. So then I get the positive test and I automatically get a fever. And I'm like, well, is that psychosomatic or is that like, I have no idea. But like now I'm like living in the studio. So my my magical like art writing studio, which then turned into my law professor office, is now my also my apartment. And I'm living out here and just waiting to go back. I I don't think I have. I did feel really sick yesterday. I feel better today. I took a Zyrtec. So I do think it's more allergies than COVID. It's interesting because now with you telling me you have COVID, my gay husband in in, um, the UK has COVID. My son had COVID. Unfortunately, one of my cousins passed away a couple of weeks of COVID. My neighbors who are my bubble got COVID. Shane and I are, and my friend Isabel and my friend Christy are the only people I know that hasn't had it. Almost my brother got COVID. My cousins got COVID. My brother's kids got COVID. Like everybody. I have a lot of people. I mean, Eric doesn't have my friend that I go to the gym with doesn't have it. They've all tested. The people I saw Saturday night tested. They don't have it. You know, I do think it's rather random, but I also think a lot of people could have had Omicron, especially if you're vaccinated and not realized it. Because I think with me, you can get a positive test for months after. So I'm like, really, in the end of January, when I was really feeling bad, I wonder if that was COVID. And I'm just still testing positive because I have a bit of a viral load. Like, it's hard to, it's just hard to know. I mean, it is. um, And the antigen test, just so everybody knows, like, I just, you know, the antigen test, it isn't that it's inaccurate or accurate. You have to do it right. And there's, you know, we, but The idea is it won't catch a small viral. If it's not strong enough to be in your nose, it's not going to be in your nose, which is why the PCR test is more accurate, especially since if you're symptom-free, you could be walking around contagious and not know it. But I just think about all the people who are walking around with symptom-free COVID and just passing it to one another. Do you know what I mean? So if I had it at the end of January, I passed it to a lot of people. Because I wasn't testing and I didn't feel I had had the PCR test January 7th or whatever. It said negative. So I was like, this is just a cold. And I wandered around. I, You know what I mean? We just are walking in a state of not knowing. I'm glad to have the three shots. So I feel like, of course, I would get the mild COVID and be be okay. Like, it's this is hard because I... I get it. I mean, my parents are in St. Martin right now because they have the timeshare there. Talk, speak of privilege. But my cousin, Gabby, and I were talking and she's like, I think your parents are actively trying to get COVID because, I mean, they, they, they're careful, but they do everything that the law allows them to do. I mean, they're like, we're, in, we're 80. Do you know what I mean? We're living our best life. Like, I'm just doing, I wear the mask when I'm supposed to wear the mask and I just do everything. And I was like, well, you know, you there is that sense that we do need to move on and figure out how to live with this concept. The thing that just makes me feel so bad is that I am planning on going to Malawi in May, if unless there's another surge of some kind. But I think it's like less than 10% of people there are vaccinated. 
Like we have to get the world vaccinated because then we only have the anti-vaxxers. Yeah. And then and this is the problem because the, the Africa uh, as a continent, they're suffering because of the rest of the world hoarding vaccinations. Did you hear about all the vaccinations that had to be discarded because they weren't being used in Florida? They could have gone to Africa. Like it's just no. Well, we just also need to, we want global market. We want a global market. We need to think about global responsibility. I mean, that's just, we really do need to move in a Star Trek direction. Yeah. Of a federation. Like, it's just like we have, we can't have a global market without global responsibilities. And I don't think we should, you know, when people say me first, all these people want to, all the people who are sort of saying me first, but you go on trips, right? If you say me first and you never leave town, I guess there's nothing I can say to you. But if you're getting like on a plane and you want to go like visit places, then you should have an idea of let's bring everybody up and stop thinking about like our country first. It that's it seems very absurd to me. Well, a bunch of the nurses that are on TikTok, I don't really follow a bunch of nurses. I follow this this one black nurse. She says that a surge is coming. That all the doctors and and the the you know like all the chatter amongst the because she actually works at a clinic that does the those antibodies to help you when you have COVID, all the chatter is that there's another surge coming because there's a new variant called new. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that there's not a new variant. They're even saying that Omicron has a sub-variant that's even more contagious. I mean, I think, you know, the idea is that I think we're living with this just like we're going to live with the flu. And then it's just, but the idea is, is that Will it get weak enough that it's truly the flu? Like people say, oh, it's just like the flu. I'm like, look at the amount of people dying. That is just look at the overtaxed healthcare system. Like it's not, it's not just how the flu is now. And, you know, it's just like the measles. We get the MMR vaccination. Like I just don't understand the resistance. I just don't understand the resistance. People can die from the measles. So I think people forget that. And the reason the few people that get the measles, it's really light. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's a, it's a crazy, it's crazy talk. And I, and I don't, I don't get it. And I, it's, yeah, we are where we are. We're going to just see, we're going to muddle through. We're in a, we're in a weird place, but. I'm glad we talked about things today. Totally. I was like, we're, I thought we were going to talk about the Super Bowl halftime show, but we didn't even get to that, everybody. We just started in. Well, on, we will. got an email, but we got to talk about it. We got to talk about like yeah. the, the Gen X millennial rivalry, like who's claiming that halftime show. Yeah, but there's even more. There's, it's, it's even more complex. There's some, oh God. The amount of memes going around with all these white mothers saying, oh, my kid's about to find out who I really am with the Snoop Dogg and the Crip walking. And we're like, really, what really? I'm saying is, God, I, see, you know what my reaction was? I, of course, didn't watch the Super Bowl, but I watched the halftime show the next day. Same. So I was like, the New York Giants aren't playing. I don't give a shit about that Super Bowl. And just the fireworks after Angelinos. Everybody in Los Angeles has a dog. Stop the fucking fireworks. Exactly. 
anyway. So I was just like, hope the Rams lose because motherfucking fireworks, but whatever. So, but I was just looking at Snoop Dogg and I was like, God damn it, he is aging well. Like I want to, I should smoke a blunt a day and, and, and just chill out. I mean, he looks so fucking good. Like he looks better than he looked when he was young. So that's all I have to say. That is my one. Well, that's money. That's money and privilege as well. That is. That's he sleeps in an oxygen tank. I know he does. Yeah. I know they all do. All those rich rock stars too. Because how could you have used all those drugs? I mean, I know Mick Jagger. I know he's like a vegan now and he runs 10 miles, whatever he does, and doesn't drink or do drugs. But you can't have abused your body so much in your 20s and then still look good. Like it's, anyway, yeah, it's money and privilege. We, we, we should... Make a concerted effort to talk about this next week. All right. Um, I have opinions. I know. Well, we always have opinions. <laughs> Everybody, this is Women Bridging the Gap. Thank you for listening to our rants today. You can find I, it. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and I really would like for um, people to engage with this particular episode and their feelings uh, regarding COVID, regarding critical race theory. Yes. And you can find us on womenbridgingthegap.com, Instagram, Facebook. Where else? I don't know. We're not on TikTok, right? I do. I mean, so, and you can find us personally. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find Lenya on TikTok. Just find us anywhere. But basically, the easiest place to go is womenbridgingthegap.com. And then from there, you can find us. And... Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.